This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the theater. Now we take a look at the theory that when we dream, we actually tap into some sort of paranormal realm. And a warning, this is serious, simply hearing that story may invite a demon to visit your house. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garvener. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. If you guys are around here, like, I don't want a demon in my house. I'm going to click the episode off. To those of you who are still listening, we salute you. And that is real. We'll get into that second story in a moment. First off, we got a lot of stuff to cover. I have to issue a minor update. Friday's episode, the episode about the woman with the glowing boobs, that was actually a recommendation. I did not know it was a recommendation. It was recommended a long time ago. And I did not note it correctly. So a Twitter follower, at DruthersCA, thank you so much for recommending the Illuminous Boobs story. People are like, I missed that episode. You should listen to it. It's a good one. Thank you so much. And I'll edit that into that episode as well. I apologize. I try to make sure I give everyone credit when they recommend the story. So that was my bad. And then let's give a shout out to today's Patreon supporter coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, flying with with wings, which is how you normally fly. You normally don't hover in Dead Rabbit Command. We won't have any of that. It's Archaeopteryx. <laughs> because apparently... <laughs> you're like, dang it. I, Jason, I kept listening to the episode, even though you warned me I get possessed by a demon, and then you made that bizarre noise right in my headphones. Archaeopteryx is apparently some sort of bird... Uh, prehistoric bird. Archaeopteryx, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. You should ask yourself, what did I do today to support my favorite podcaster, Dead Rabbit Radio? Archaeopteryx, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Catch him in your beak. Ah! And just drive with your hand, though. Don't drive with your beak. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed on out to Corona, California. Pull up to this movie theater, Archaeopteryx. We are at the Regal Edwards Corona Crossings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that's a conspiracy that it took place here. The Regal Edwards Corona Crossings in RPX, which I think is one of those theaters where the seats move. Uh... I know I went to go see Black Widow in a movie theater where the seats moved. Uh, and it was good. I liked Black Widow. And I review the seats. The seats were good, too. I didn't think I'd like Black Widow that much because I'm kind of off the Marvel bandwagon. But, no, it was, it was, yeah, I liked it. But, anyways, it's July 26, 2021. We're at the Regal Edwards Corona Crossings and RPX Theater in Corona, California. It's late at night. It's like 11, 11.30. And people are watching their movies. They're watching Fast 9. I watched that. That was good. You're like, Jason, this is a paranormal podcast. We're talking about the movies. But it was good. I give it five ghosts. I give F9 five ghosts. So it is paranormal. That's my rating system. Okay, it's late at night. It's like 11.30 at 5 at night. And people are watching F9, the Fast Saga. 
all of a sudden the movie stops. All of a sudden it goes black for a second, the lights come on, and a voice is announced over the theater. You leave. Leave the theater. <laughs> leave calmly. But there's an emergency. You must leave the theater. And everyone's kind of getting up. They're like, oh no, will, will Vin Diesel ever find his family? They're getting up. They'll have to go look up spoilers on IMDb. They're getting up. They're leaving the theater. They don't know what's going on. What happened? This is so bizarre. What happened was earlier in the night, at 9.35 p.m., there's a showing of The Forever Purge. It's the fifth Purge movie in the Purge series. This one, if you don't know what the Purge movies are, Purge movies are about a society where for 12 hours, one night a year, for 12 hours, all emergency personnel, they have to stay at home. <laughs> Hopefully they're at home. All emergency personnel and services are cut off, and anyone can commit any crime they want to for 12 hours. And it's a way to kind of blow off some steam. This one, the fifth movie in the series, is about people going, you know what, what if we committed a crime for more than 12 hours? So basically the fifth movie is just real life. It's just a documentary at this point. The fifth movie, The Forever Purge. Well, why do we just purge for 12 hours? Let's do it forever. Anyway, so that's the plot of The Forever Purge. This, this showing at this Regal Cinema sold six tickets. Six tickets to go watch it, because you know it's pandemic times, and it's the Forever Purge. It's not, not, not a hit movie. The movie ends around 11.35. Cleaning crew goes into the theater. It's empty. They go, what is a Purge movie? Who stays till the end of these things? They go and they start cleaning up the theater, and one of the members of the cleaning crews are walking through the barely illuminated darkness. The end credits are still playing on the screen. They see in the movie theater two bodies. They call the cops. The cops show up. They issue the emergency. F9 is canceled. Slumped down in this movie theater, you have Riley Goodrich, an 18-year-old young woman, and she is dead on the scene. Lying next to her is Anthony Barros, 19-year-old young man. He's bleeding profusely with a few gunshot wounds to the head, but he's still alive. So he's rushed to the hospital, and they're trying their best. And the cops have no idea what could have caused this. There wasn't a single report of a gunshot in the entire movie theater. Which, you know, everyone's watching movies where people are shooting guns and revving cars. And maybe some of them are just dialogue movies. I don't know. I don't watch those. But no one in any of the theaters heard a gunshot. And the cops are trying to figure this stuff out, and they go, okay, we have six people. Six tickets were sold to the Purge, the Forever Purge. Let's track them down. And they were able to track down four of the tickets to one other buyer. So you had Anthony and you had Riley. They were able to track the four other tickets. They bought them online. They used their credit card. They had all that information. The cops show up at this dude's house and say, hey, we know, you have to know something about this, because there's only six people in the theater, one's dead, one's in the hospital, and you bought the other four tickets. What's going on? So the friend says, okay, I did buy those other four tickets. It was me, two of my buddies, and one person who I'm not going to say is my buddy, a young man known as Joseph Jimenez. He's 20 years old. And dude, this cat is weird. Joseph is a weird duck. Even though I just said he was a cat, he's also a duck. That's what makes him weird. He was acting weird in the theater. We were watching The Forever Purge, and he was acting really weird. He was like, this movie's good. This movie's actually decent. And they're like, what? What, what sane person would say that? He's like, I can't wait until they make a sixth one. No, he was acting weird. 
And it was kind of making the friends nervous. So when he gets up in the middle of the movie, so the four of them are sitting in the back of the theater. Riley and Anthony are sitting in the middle of the theater. When he gets up in the middle of the movie and comes back with a bag and says, yo, dude, I got a strap with me now. I got a strap. The other three friends are like, uh, we all got to go to the bathroom. That was actually their excuse. All three of them had to go to the bathroom at the same time. Now, a strap is normal slang for a gun. Because something that may come up is, did they know he had a firearm on him? But they all get up to go, to, and they don't warn anybody. And I was reading an article, and they said, legally, are they... Because he wasn't threatening anyone. He was just acting weird. He was mumbling to himself. He was a fan of the Purge series. But was he actively threat threatening anybody? Were these people legally liable? These people are going to carry this to their grave. Like, this is something you're going to have a hard time getting over. But they all go... They just think he's being weird. They don't want to be around him. They all go, I have to go to the bathroom at the same time. <laughs> like, you do and Louie just walk out of the movie theater, but they don't leave the theater because they have to, like, they just... They're not going to do that. It would look even weirder. But they go, we're not going back in that movie theater because, you know, there's a dude with a gun in there. From Joseph Jimenez's side, because he was been arrested, he's been arrested at this point, he finally told the cops, he goes, listen... So I've been hearing voices for a long, long time. And that can obviously be building an excuse for stuff. You know, there was that young man who shot up the, uh, what is it, Stoneman Douglas School in Florida. And when he got arrested, he's like, the demons, the demons are inside of me. JCS Psychology, there's a YouTube video called JCS Psychology, which I watched like the day he drops a video. It's really good stuff. He breaks down inter police interrogation videos. Highly recommend this channel if you're into any sort of true crime stuff or just like human psychology. He really broke down how that was a line, how... Uh, I don't remember the cat's name who did that. <laughs> Apparently everyone's a cat. Everyone's a cat today, but I don't remember who shot up Stoneman Douglas and I, I could care less. But he was he would go back and forth between talking about demons to like pretend that he was crazy, but when no one was around, he stopped pretending crazy. It's a really interesting video, but you think about Joseph, and so I think it was made up. I think he thought that he... Everyone thinks they're just going to go to a mental ward, which is way worse, way worse than going to just jail. At least jail, you get to play cards and get your head bashed in with a uh, lead pipe in... A lot of these mental facilities, you're just drugged and you're comatose. You don't even have, like, free will. But anyways, Joseph Jimenez, he could be building a, an insanity defense, but he tells the police, he goes, listen, I've been hearing voices for a long time. I've been hearing these voices in my head. And they were telling me I had to kill people or my family would be killed and all my possessions would be taken from me. And I was been struggling with this. And when we're sitting in the forever purge, the voices are just, they're too much. So I went out, I got my gun, came back in, my buddies left. I walked through the dark theater. There was only two other people in the theater. I walked into the row behind these two people. They're watching this movie. And I shot the man first, shot him several times in the head. And then Riley kind of jumped up and then I shot her and then I left. He says in his statement, he immediately regretted it. Like, he felt so sorry that he had done this thing. As he should, it's not going to protect him. He's facing the death penalty, because it's considered lying in wait. He also, I think, took one of their wallets or one of their cell phones. But the cops knew early on this wasn't a robbery. The cops' idea was this was a totally random event, unprovoked assault. 
By the time Joseph finally had confessed to this, Anthony has also passed away. He was brain dead for a couple days, and then he died as well. So now he's facing double homicide charges with special circumstances. That makes him eligible for the death penalty. It's also unsettling the idea of, I believe this, if the voices in your head are paranormal, the voices in your head are like some sort of evil, sinister thing, that the second you do what they want, they completely disappear because they were just there to bone you in the first place. I, I always think that idea is spooky. And then just the idea of sitting, there's all these things. You have him having to suffer through that if it's true, if it's not an excuse. And then they're like, kill, 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 kill. And then you do it and then they're gone. That's spooky to me because just just the voices saying kill, kill. I'm going, oh, that's not scary at all. I'm all brushing my teeth. I'm like, oh, this is such a good song. That's scary in and of itself. But the idea of once you do it, they're gone. Like, that's creepy. Because then you know that there's something malevolent behind it trying to ruin your life. Because his life's ruined. Life's ruined. And then you have the idea of these two young people who are on their date. They're sitting in this movie theater. And it's just you two. And there's four other people. And then you don't know that they've left. They haven't warned anybody. And you're just sitting there. And you get shot in the back of the head. It's just that that's unsettling as well. It's unsettling as well. So I wanted to share that story with you. I do think it has the crossroads between the paranormal and the true crime. And it's one that just happened on my vacation and I thought would be a really chilling story. Archaeopteryx, let's go ahead and give you the hair hang glider. Even though, even though you can fly without it, we can't. We're going to leave behind Corona, California. We are headed out to Crown's Nest Pass in Alberta, Canada. <sighs> I thought, it's, it, 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 as a philosophical thing, it is interesting. Like, what happens when we sleep? What happens when we dream? Are they real? Are they just your subconscious firing? Is it a combination of the two? This is one thing I find interesting about dreams. It doesn't always, or just things in general, it doesn't always have to be one or the other. You can have a million Bigfoot sightings that are fake and three that are real. And when you dispute the other million, you're not saying that he doesn't exist at all. I mean, after you've disputed literally one million Bigfoot stories, people people may make assumptions. But maybe dreams are subconscious, but sometimes they tap into something darker, something more primal. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. And last warning, I'm going to talk about two dreams. The second one, just read when I read the story. Stuff has been, there's something different in my house now. But anyways, before we get there, let's take a look at this I found from a person who goes by the name Where the Raven Lives. Maybe it's a friend of Archaeopteryx. It's the mid-90s. We're in Crow's Nest. Ooh, Archaeopteryx may know where this is at. We're in Crow's Nest Pass. That's in Alberta, Canada. And it's next to the border. Uh, this location is next to the border of British Columbia. There's a couple lakes in the area. And where the raven lives, let's give him the name Jody. Jody says that she has to take the bus to school from where she lives to go to stuff. You're like, Jason, I know how buses work. I'm not a moron. But it's a far distance. Do you, do you know how far distances work? It's a far distance for her to get from her house to the school. So sometimes the bus, actually a lot of times apparently... It take she gets picked up before the sun comes up. The bus drives her all the way through this wilderness that is known as Alberta, Canada, and then she gets to school. And she goes, it's actually beautiful. Like, even as a child, I appreciated how beautiful it was to be picked up before the sun came up and you'd see just these beautiful lakes 
one night Jody is having a dream. And even even she's a little hesitant to call it a dream. Sometimes these premonition dreams seem so real. Not really a premonition dream, but these dreams that kind of pierce reality seem so real that it's hard to quantify as a dream. But it's not reality. Jody knows that. Jody is a child standing out on the side of the road along her bus route. And the lakes are completely frozen over at this time. It's winter time. The lakes are completely frozen over. But she sees the guardrail along the road has been smashed. And there's a hole in the ice. Leading into the frozen depths of the lake. Suddenly, now standing directly in front of her is an old woman. She's dripping wet. She's soaked head to toe. Her whole body seems to be shaking, quivering. She raises a finger at Jody and whispers. But Jody hears every word perfectly in her ear. It's so cold in here. Jody wakes up, gets ready for school, gets on the bus that's waiting outside. Glorious early morning sky, fresh snow on the ground, a winter wonderland. But she's on the bus, and she's going her normal route, and about ten minutes into her ride to school, she starts to see red and white lights bounce across the trees. And as that bus is getting closer and closer, she begins to recognize these lights are coming from emergency vehicles. And sure enough, as she crosses the same location she saw in her dream, the guardrail is ripped open, and a car is being pulled out of the icy waters. She found out later that a car containing two older people crashed through the guard. They lost control on the icy roads, crashed through the guardrail, and went into the ice, and both people were killed. She says to this day when she drives by that location, she still immediately remembers that old woman just standing there on the side of the road. It's so cold in here. Classic American ghost story. Even though it took place in Canada, it's a classic ghost story with the twist of the premonition. Or was she dreaming it while it happened? Like, was the old woman already dead when she had the dream? Was she seeing the accident before it happened? Just kind of an interesting ghost story. It's creepy. The imagery is creepy. You're safe alone in bed. Next thing you know, you're transported out into this winter paradise. And then there's a ghost in front of you. Um, I think you'd probably be in a sauna in Jamaica and a ghost appearing in front of you would still be unsettling, but you have the, it's so hot in here. It's so hot in here. Turn down the temperature. Is there boiling alive in the spa? It's an interesting story. Just on its face, it's an interesting story, but I wanted to pair it up with this one, but I wanted to pair it up with this next story I wanted to do because this story also involves a dream taking us to a paranormal reality. And then that paranormal reality becoming true. That's always the key with this. If it's just a dream, I'm not interested in it. But if there's a real-world ramification, that's when we can start to look at the dream as being something else. Archaeopteryx, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Crow's Nest, Canada. We are headed on out to Ingleside, Texas.
This story was sent to me by Beatrice, longtime listener of the show, our Forrest Finn correspondent. I'm sure she's probably had to hang up her hat on that one since he's passed away, but still will always be remembered as our Forrest Finn correspondent. Thank you very much for that. And, and maybe she'll be remembered for this terrifying story as well. It's the year 2000. She's living in Texas. Beatrice is 25 years old, and she's living there with her three-year-old daughter, Mia, in a tiny little home on Avenue E. Her daughter has a really hard time sleeping by herself. She actually refuses to sleep by herself. So, for all intents and purposes, Beatrice and Mia shared a room. And this is a tiny little house. And she said the way that it was set up was that her bed, their bedroom, really, the bedroom door opened directly into the kitchen. And recently, her fridge bulb had burned out in her fridge. And she hadn't had to, I didn't even know this burned out. I guess that they do. I've never had one burn out in my 44 years of existence. Apparently those beautiful, like, yes, Jason, light bulbs can burn out. Anyway, what, what reality do you live in? The, um, the best one, the light bulb of her fridge had burned out. She'd been meaning to replace it. It wasn't really a big thing. She, she just reached into the dark void and ate whatever she grabbed. She's like, oh, awesome. A bottle of ketchup. Nom, nom, nom. One night, she's sleeping in her bed. The bedroom door is open, and she can look into the kitchen. She's sleeping in bed with her daughter, Mia. And she is woken up by a sound. And she looks into the kitchen, and she sees her daughter has opened the refrigerator door and is rooting around inside of it. And she notices, but it doesn't make the connection at first, that the refrigerator door light is on. She sees her daughter kind of rooting around. What she's more concerned about is not, whoa, my daughter knows how to replace a bulb. What she's thinking more about is when the world's my daughter doing up and why is she in the refrigerator? And she can hear like the sound, like, you know, when you open a fridge door, you can hear stuff kind of rustle around, ketchup hitting mustard and jelly, <laughs> jelly falling out, hitting the ground and making a big mess. Everything kind of rattles. That's what she heard. That's what she woke up to. And she can still hear that noise. And she starts going, Mia. Mia, what, come back to bed, dude. You, you can't eat you can't eat your own bottle of ketchup until I'm up. Come back to bed. And she says that Mia then turns to her. And it's not Mia. This little girl was the same height, same haircut, same floral dress that her daughter wore to school. But as this figure turned to face Beatrice, she realized the hair was gray and dusty. And the face was a horrible, distorted version of what her daughter's face should look like. And this figure is just looking at Beatrice. And Beatrice has a weird reaction to this. Her mind is telling her, this is a normal girl, but not my daughter. She just must have wandered in. She poor this poor little child must have wandered into my house. I'm So she begins to tell the child, "Where where are you from? What are you doing here? Your your mother must be worried about you." And this little girl is now walking towards the bedroom. "Why are you here?" But as the girl's getting closer, Beatrice Beatrice has this normal reaction that it must just be a real girl, real random girl with a distorted face and super dusty hair who stole her daughter's haircut and clothes. But as the girl's getting closer, Beatrice starts to get panicked. 
Something primal inside of her is telling her this isn't your daughter, obviously. And this isn't just some random kid who wandered into your house late at night and was hungry for ketchup. This is something else. And she begins yelling at the girl to leave. Yelling at the girl to leave. But the little girl continues to walk into the room and Beatrice starts to get panicked. She looks over and she sees that her own daughter Mia is safely asleep. And she looks back and this Mia doppelganger, this grotesque parody of her child, is continuing to walk into the room. And she keeps asking, where are you from? What are you doing here? You don't belong here. The figure continues to walk into the room. Beatrice, again, has a unique thing. Because generally, if you see like a monster kid walking around your house, you know, maybe do some kung fu, maybe pray a little. But I think there's still this thing in her head that this is someone real, right? If there's a real kid in your house, you're like, hey, can I call my mom? I'm lost. You don't want to kung fu him. She tells this figure, I'm going to call 911. I'm going to call 911. The police will take you home. Still thinking it's a real child. She picks up the phone. The girl keeps walking towards her. She dials 911. And she puts the phone in her ear, and it's her mom's voice talking on the phone and she's going mom mom hang up there's something in my house there's a little girl lost in my house hang up i need to call the police the next thing beatrice knows the phone's on the cradle and she's sitting up in bed like she just woke up she's sitting up in bed with and her eyes are opening up for the first time she looks the phone is on the cradle and the girl is still standing in the room So Beatrice grabs the phone, dials 911, puts it to her ear, and her mom's voice is on the phone again. She gasps, sits up in bed, eyes opening like it's the first time. The little girl's in the room. Phone is on the cradle. She said this happens two more times. She's struggling to call 911. She can't. And then after the, what would this be now, the fourth time? She she gasps, she sits up straight, her eyes are open, and the little girl is not in the room this time. She jumps up, she begins looking for this. Was this real? Was any of this real? She turns on all the lights. She's wondering if she's just going to wake up again and be back in bed. She is really having a hard time with reality at this point. Everything seemed so real in the beginning. She decided not to go back to sleep that night, which is a prudent decision. And stays awake. She does have the solace that the refrigerator light is burned out still. She's like, woo, I'm so glad I still have to take care of that chore. Because had it been on, then she would have known that this was reality. The little child walking around is reality. She goes, okay, the light was burned out during the day. The little kid shows up, the light's on in the fridge, and now it's burned. Okay, so it must have just been a dream. That next day, she's kind of walking around her front yard in a zombie-like state. She has two neighbors, two neighbors at the time, Eric and Dee. And she's talking to Eric. He's out in his front lawn, and he goes, Hey, you know, you look a little stressed. Like, are you doing okay? Like, I can tell something's going on. And she goes, Oh, yeah, I couldn't get any sleep last night. Let me tell you what happened. And she begins telling Eric this story, and as she's telling him, he's getting quieter and quieter, and then he goes, Okay, you need to stop right now. Don't tell me anything else. I'm super scared. No, he said, don't tell me anything else. I'm going to go get D. Runs inside. He brings out D. And he goes, Beatrice, tell her what you just told me. Beatrice is like, well, okay. 
Beatrice is telling the story, and the same thing as she's telling the story, Dee and Eric are listening intently. And Dee goes, that happened to me too. Dee said a while back, she was sleeping on the couch, taking a nap. And she had, like, the doors to the house open. She had, like, the front door open, the back door open. She's sleeping on the couch, and she wakes up, and there's a boy sitting on the arm of her couch. Just sitting there. And he's wearing overalls, but no shirt on underneath. And he's just kind of sitting there. And her first inclination, she said he had dusty hair. His hair was gray and dusty. And he didn't have any shirt. She said his skin looked almost like a leather hide. She's taking this in. This does not, does not look like a normal child. And her first inclination is, oh, this poor child must have wandered into my house. He must have just been lost and walked into my house and sitting on my couch. That's her first inclination. But then she starts to feel like this thing is something far darker than that. And this little boy turns towards her and begins to growl. She feels, she believes that this is a demon. And she begins praying out loud. A stillness just layers itself upon the entire living room. And then the figure is gone. If Beatrice had just sent me the story where she had a dream where she thought this little kid was walking around her house that looked like her daughter... And then it kept repeating, and then it disappeared. That's a creepy dream. It doesn't have any parallel to the real world. I mean, it could cause you to sleep with your nightlight on, but that in and of itself is just a dream. But when you have the neighbor, when you have someone who's in such close geographical proximity, have the same... You know what's interesting? It's not even the same dream. It's the same elements. There's two different sexes of the kid, which is creepy. So it means that it can shift... But no matter what form it takes, it has demonic features. Beatrice said that this actually took place right next to Elizabeth Cook Elementary School. And there is a legend of that school being haunted for a long time. So is it simply the fact of these ghostly children going, You know what? I've been at school for two, three hundred years. It's time for a break. And visiting neighbors. Is it something more sinister than that? Because it is able to change form, but it's still locked into some sort of demonic visage. They can't really shake. I find it very, very interesting that both people were under the false assumption that this was a totally normal child that had happened to wander its way into their house. One of them having that would be weird, but both of them having that means it's a feature, not a bug. Like, it's actually doing this thing on purpose. And then you start to wonder, like, people who talk about black-eyed children... And you don't realize... I mean, you're they're looking at it. They can tell it's demonic. And they're still thinking, oh, it must have been a kid walking in. There's some sort of like mental camouflage there. Even though you could visually see they're wrong. So there's a whole lot of things we can talk about with this story. What is this? How did it get there? But Beatrice sent me this story. She sent me a bunch of stories the other day. Beatrice sent me this story. And it could just be psychosomatic. But it's been a couple days now. I feel like there's something else in my place now. I feel like there's something else in my house. Um, the night I was reading this story, I have this weird ritual sometimes. I'll bring a snack into the bedroom. <laughs> That's no weird ritual. That's just what nine-year-olds do. I brought in some trail mix. I'll have the light shut off, and I'll put on a movie, and I'll eat 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 it, um, num, 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 and drink a bit right before I go to bed. It's really... <laughs> It's a really bad habit. But I was doing that. I had the light on from my laptop. I have a nightlight. 
because I researched the paranormal and I've seen a lot of horrible stuff in my life. I have a nightlight. I have my laptop on. And I'm sitting there and I'm eating my trail mix with raisins. I put extra raisins in it. And I have my drink. And this hasn't happened in a long time. That's enough light for me to get by on, really. There's something behind me as I'm eating my trail mix. And I... It's funny because we're going to be covering a story later this week about like a, a case that totally got... A, a big paranormal case that ended up being a fraud... And everyone who was involved in it now looks like a schmuck. And it's funny because it, it's possible that Beatrice is just pulling my leg. I don't think so. She's a long-time listener of the show. I've had a lot of communication with her over about a year now. She seems like a real good person. I don't think she would fraud me. But I feel like what was in my room the other night was that child. So if it turns out, if it turns out that she made this story up, I'm going to also look like a big old schmuck. But I feel simply by reading this story... I invite, and it's been a couple days now. Normally, I fall asleep with my nightlight on, and then I wake up in the middle of the night and shut it off. It the, the batteries, I have rechargeable batteries, luckily. It's running until the morning comes up. I think there's something else. I've always had the old man in my closet who I've made my peace with, but I think there's something else now here. And this would make sense because this, the ghost itself kind of exists in the subconscious. This little child creature exists in the subconscious. It's visiting through dreams. And what is reading but visualization? When you read something, as you're reading it, your subconscious is, or maybe your conscious is, I don't know the exact mechanism, but as you're reading something, you're picturing these things like a dream. And is just hearing the stories, just reading the story enough to have this thing visit you? Is that enough? Do you have to be physically located there? And I'm just a big old scaredy cat. And the story struck a nerve for some reason. And I just imagine it's here. Or by simply hearing the story, have you invited this thing into your life? It's possible that I've cursed a bunch of my listeners with a demon that I really know nothing about. I've never really researched outside of this story. It's possible it's just a figment of my overactive spooky imagination. But it's always interesting. The world of paranormal research is unlike most forms of research. If you're a scientist and you want to study bugs, you got to go where the bugs are. If you want to study rocks, you got to go to where the rocks are. The paranormal research is one of those few groups where sometimes it comes to you. Sometimes the best ghost hunting adventures you go on are the ones that end up on your own doorstep. Sometimes it's exciting, but sometimes it can be extremely dangerous. If you're not prepared for what's standing at your doorstep, you may stop being a researcher, and you may become a victim. You may become a victim of a paranormal entity. You may disappear, die a mysterious death, get possessed. Who knows? You're like, Jason, I'm not listening to this podcast anymore. But all those things may happen. You may become not a paranormal research, but part of the paranormal legend. There is a thin line between listening to Dead Rabbit Radio and being covered on Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.